Amen, amen. Well, you may be seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. And one of the ways we do that is that as we gather together each week is to open up God's Word and let's have God's story inform ours. And so this summer we've been looking at a variety of different psalms uh, kind of as a soundtrack for our souls because we recognize that we are whole people, mind, body, soul, intellect, emotion, right, action, feeling, and the psalms help give us a language for that how to process those things with the Lord, both individually and then even collectively as a people. So today, we're going to be in Psalm 25. It's not one that I think a lot of us are familiar with necessarily. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And and as we turn there, I want you to ask yourself, what path are you on? What path are, are we on? Like, what obstacles do you face or are we facing, just trying to navigate uh, the world around us. Because nearly every day, nearly every moment is another crossroads, another crisis, another decision point, another, hey, here's a news story that, that, man, I miss when the news used to be something that I could just watch, think about, and say, oh, that's an interesting thing that's happening over there. As opposed to, oh, here's a new mandate I need to respond to now, or here's a new thing that changes the way I live my life right now. And so we come to these decision points, these crisis points, and I will just tell you, I believe that the speed... I think it's important for us to take a lot of moments to pause, to slow down, to process before we continue on our path and on our journey, because otherwise we're just going to get overwhelmed and swamped. And so if we are going to hopefully reorient ourselves a bit to what's true, hopefully gain some resolve, some clarity, maybe even some confidence, uh, right, Um, then we need to know where are we going to look for guidance to, to continue to receive grace on the path that God has for us. And so I think that begins with an honest expression of what we're feeling and what we're going through. Okay, honesty, whether it's intellectually, whether it's from government, whether it's from media, whether it's from, as we look ourselves in the mirror, honesty is in really short supply right now. And so we need to um, uh, be able to process things honestly. And so when we have shame, we kind of disassociate from ourselves, right, and actions and what's been done to us or what we're doing. When we have fear, we, 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 we are honest with ourselves, so we retreat, we, we, we mask what we think or feel, not wanting to face the consequences of a culture that might be going a different direction. When we're angry, we're not honest about it, so we just put up walls to kind of defend or to, to distance ourselves from others. And so when it's time to actually process what you're thinking and feeling, you need to have, and man, I just, I hate this phrase, but I love it. You need to have a safe space, right? You need to have someone, somewhere you can go where you can actually be honest with what you think and feel. Because all of us, self-censor all the time, right? Raise your hand if you feel like you have to self-censor on a regular basis. Yeah, some of you are self-censoring right now and not raising your hand, right? Right? You're like, oh, I don't want to see that, right? And why do we do that? 
right? We, we self-censor, right? Uh, because, you know, we're not sure if, if what I think, what I feel, what my opinion is, what my disposition towards something is, is that going to be acceptable? Some of us need to self-censor a little more, right? Particularly on social media, maybe, right? But we self-censor on social media. We self-censor in public with our friends. Sometimes we self-censor with our spouse. And I want to be clear. Hey, don't be that person that's just like, why well, just call it like it is, right? Nobody likes that guy. Nobody likes that gal, right? And the reason being is Proverbs tells us a fool gives full vent to their spirit. So like, we don't all need to know what we're all thinking all the time. In fact, I don't know that it's always helpful or profitable, but that doesn't mean that you should squash what you think, squash what you feel, squash your emotions, squash your perspective, because intimacy requires some vulnerability and being able to, to, to share and, and to, to, to not get emotionally stopped up when we need an outlet or we need a counselor. And so, um, thankfully, if, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you know anything about the Lord, if you come in here today and you're like, you know, what, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? Um, part of it means you do not have to self-censor yourself before the Lord. God can handle all of your anger, all of your doubt, all of your frustration, all of your emotions, all of your opinions that are well-formed or not well-formed, right? God can handle you when you're a total wackadoodle and have totally like fallen off the rails and don't know what's even going on and are completely disoriented. God's where you go. He's where you can be safe. He's where you can be uncensored. So we should not and cannot, I mean, like, how foolish is it to self-censor ourselves before the Lord when, when we believe in a God who knows everything about us, who knows the very condition of our souls, knows the depths of our hearts, and, and, and you're, you're before God and you're like, you, you know, hey, you know how, how you doing? And, and you're like, I'm, I'm fine. He's like, no, no, how, how you doing? Like, let the guard down. And, and this is a long intro, but this is the setup for Psalm 25. Because Psalm 25 is David being a little scatterbrained, having some tension, being real and raw about his emotions, both his, his confidence and his crisis of confidence. We have to know that God can handle all of our real, raw, clear, bold emotions, and, and so he can handle it. And, and we should be like open with that and then also be prepared that God's going to answer that with comfort and yes, at times conviction and, and, and correction where, where need be. And so, again, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 25. This is where we're going to be. Uh, I want us to know going in that God will direct us to what's true, but God will never leave you or forsake you. So you can be assured that God will listen, love, and lead. That's what we're going to see through these passages. Listen, love, and lead when you're seeking Him so that we can walk with Him and for Him. And what I'm going to call today the path of mercy. So if you're wondering, like, hey, you know, what's, the, what's the theme here uh, for Psalm 25? We're going to look at it as a path of mercy. I'm going to break it up into four sections, starting with verses 1 through 5. I'll read it. We'll talk about it. It says this. Psalm 25 of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They will be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait the day long. And so 
This path of mercy that we're going to walk through in this text uh, begins in a place in a space that I believe isn't so much a path, but is maybe even a, a prison cell of tension. Right? When we are in tension, when we aren't even in agreement with ourselves, right? Like, like you kind of get paralyzed, right? You feel like you can't move, and, and the walls kind of close in around you, right? And so you're like, I'm in this place of tension. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to handle myself, right? And so we start with this prison cell of tension. And, and what I love about where David starts with the tension is on the one hand, we want our souls lifted up and we want to trust and rest in a place of security. And here David says, hey, the place of security, yeah, God, that's you. Lord, you are the place of security. God, I can, I can trust you. So even if you're in a place of tension, even if you feel like the walls are kind of closing in on you, we begin the path with some hope that God is trustworthy, that God is good. And so before we start doubt and unraveling, and I mean, I, I, I've got plenty of times where emotionally I feel like I'm just starting to unravel, right? Like somebody just grabbed the thread of a sweater and they're walking away, right? I'm not going to quote a Weezer song. Maybe I just did. Okay, right? But I just feel like undone at points. And before we start with doubt, before we start with deconstruction, we should probably start with who or what am I trusting in in the first place? Is it myself? Is it my intellect? Is it my news sources? Is it the world or circumstances around me? Or is it the Lord? If our trust is in the Lord, we're starting in a place of security. We're starting in a place of hope. David says, my soul's lifted up. And it leads to a greater trust in the Lord. Um, to say to you, I lift my soul, acknowledges that our souls are not in the place we want them to be. I'm a little unsettled. I'm unwell. I'm not sure I, I'm satisfied with where things are at. I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that, that, I, that I trust myself in all circumstances. I'm not sure that I can trust what I'm seeing. So I, I better lift my, my soul better be somewhere else than it is now. And so it's, it's a soul that's been brought low. It's a soul that's been humbled. It needs to be lift up. It's assessing and saying eternally, I don't want the condition of my soul to remain the same. I don't want the depth of despair or the, a desert of satisfaction to, to continue. I can't say that I want more, I need more. And so, um, you know, sometimes in, in Christian circles, we think, well, like, hey, there's the moment you, you trusted Jesus. You're on a path now. You're walking with him. Everything should be great now. And, and, and in this case, like, we're talking about a path and a, and a journey where there's times where you've been walking on the path and all of a sudden you feel like you're back in the cell again. Well, you're walking along and you feel, oh, I'm back in a place of tension. I used to feel like I had clarity and resolve, and now I'm just kind of weak and weary. That's okay. We're not talking about whether you're saved or not, what your eternal destiny is, whether your faith or hope is in Jesus or not. We're talking about actually what life looks like when your faith is in God. And again, this is why I love the Bible so much, because it's realistic about our human condition. It's not like, well, things were bad, I trusted the Lord, things are good, everything's awesome. It's like, no, now I can, my eyes are open, I can see some of the brokenness in the world, I can see some of the brokenness in my own soul, and my own heart, and I realize I'm not alone. I realize that God has something different for me. And yeah, I might be in a prison cell, maybe that prison cell, as we get out of slavery, leads towards more of a wilderness, 
but I know there's a home. I know there's a destination that's better than where we are. And so the Christian life, the path of mercy is one with starts and stops, retreat, repentance, renewal. These are all parts of the path. And so what happens is we get discouraged if we think there's a, a stop or retreat or a step back or a relapse and think, oh, we start to question and doubt. Am I, am, I even, am I even saved at all? Is my soul okay? So instead, there's big situations, small challenges along this path and these decision points. So we're not talking about a path of salvation. We're talking about walking out a path of mercy that we've already received because of what Jesus has done for us. That our sins have been taken care of. That our eternity is secure. And yes, in between, there's going to be a lot of difficulty. There's going to be a lot of challenges. And so there's in these verses, there's great confidence displayed, right? None who wait on you will be put to shame. That's pretty bold. And also great realism. Because he says, God, there's enemies. Lord, there's evil out there. There's opposition and obstacles uh, present. Humiliation, he says, is possible. And this is where he talks about shame. And, and see, we struggle with this to really understand what the Bible's talking about here because um, we, most of us, have grown up, if you've grown up in, in the West, uh, and I mean the West, I'm talking Europe, uh, North America, right? We've grown up in a um, innocent guilt culture. You are either innocent of something or guilty. But the Bible was written in an honor-shame culture, so either you are lifted up, right? He says, I want my soul lifted up, or you are brought low, you are in shame. And so he's not talking about, God, take care of my shame because I feel bad about something I've done. His concern is actually very much communal. He's, he's saying, uh, Lord, there are enemies who want me brought low. Lord, there are enemies who desire my shame. And in this case, in this culture, an honor-shame culture, it was your actions, your attitudes, um, uh, they're not part of what we deem as appropriate in our society. And so we are going to bring you low. You are going to suffer socially. You are going to suffer economically because you are not in line with the cultural norms of the day. We're sprinting towards that real fast. Just this last week, I, I, I talked to, to two different firefighters uh, here in Western Washington who are like, hey, I, I have to do what the government says here about this vaccine or I lose my job. Okay, so you're like, did he just blow that up and we're gonna get into this now? The point being is, you say things online, Twitter can block you. You're not part of what Twitter says is okay in society. You don't do the right actions, you're not welcome here in this part of society any longer. This is what David is talking about. He's concerned that there is a societal, social, economic cost to what he's saying is his enemies lording over him. So while he's lifting his soul up saying, God, put me in a place of honor. Lord, let me have safety and security and respect. His concern is, God, I live in a world that believes their advancement, their honor is in putting me down. You might not like the example I used. I'm sure you can think of others. Let's not act like it doesn't happen in a bunch of different circles, okay? Some, oh, you've, you've said something that's not popular. Right, we can do this as, as Christians, like, ooh, you hold this theological position that's totally open-handed that the Christians forever have disagreed upon? Well, we believe this. You're now outside. That's his concern. That he's gonna be brought low, and there's a tension because 
None of us want to be publicly shamed, right? And so, so we, like, if you're like, no, I don't feel that. No, no, this has started our whole lives, right? It started in middle school at the cool kid table, right? There's a cool kid table. I want to be up at that one. Man, my band membership in Star Trek fandom isn't helping me get there. Okay, that was super specific to me, okay? Right? And, and so you're like, no, I'm, I'm Bralo. And, and it's now continued. Did I put the right hashtag on that post? Did I change my profile picture to what's popular right now? Do I support or champion or parrot whatever the, the media or government is saying at a given point in time? Don't hear me wrong. This isn't us and them. But it is acknowledging that we live in a world that is, again, we've said this before, is like a stream moving a direction. And C.S. Lewis at a certain point says, hey, when the whole world's going one direction, those that go differently, they look like they've lost their minds. And so David's being honest with the Lord that he's facing shame, that he's worried about overcoming with defeat, that he's worried about just giving up. He says, God, I'm worried about defeat and disgrace. I know enemies are real. I know fear is real. And again, back to the place of tension. And I know you're victorious. So like, if, if you're a Christian and, and you're like, oh man, I, I'm so freaked out. Like, is this the end times? I'm like, maybe. Maybe the Civil War was. Maybe World War II. Like, like we're closer to the end than the beginning. But let's remember who wins. So we can be realistic that like the world around us is kind of going nuts a little bit and maybe we're going a little nuts and then also be honest and be okay like yeah and God is victorious. I've talked to a lot of you in the last couple weeks. I think that's maybe where some of us are at. Yes, I know there's a big God who's in charge and what the heck is going on? If he's in charge, why does it look like this? And so we got to be able to to understand this tension, that it's normal. Yeah, there's enemies, but yes, God is in charge. And if we're like, God, is there justice? Is there justice, God? Well, he answers that. He says, verse three, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. So, okay, God, I know my faith ultimately will lead to a place of honor. And then they shall be ashamed, meaning brought low, who are wantonly treacherous. Like, I, I know, God, that in the end, you're just. God's gonna sort this out. The story still ends well, and, and with each chapter that gets weirder or weirder, we can know that we must not be at the end of the story yet because the story ends really well. It ends with no more sin, no more suffering, and no more shame, and no more disease, and no more want, and God dwelling with his people, not disembodied souls, but in a new heavens and new earth with, with resurrected bodies. So the path of mercy will have tension in it, but it leads to an amazing destination. And so when he says, God, these enemies see their path to honor with my shame and defeat, he's saying, God, protect me, bring justice. And then, and then he's honest, I think, what's great is this place of tension of like, God, I know you've called me to live a certain way. God, I know you've called me to some convictions about some things. God, I know you've given like, like just even obedience in certain areas of life. Like you've laid out what our lives are supposed to look like. And then in verse four, like, bracket this if you've got it on your Bible. Verse four, make me to know your ways. See, again, we're back to a place of tension. God, I want to live the life you have for me, and I don't want to. God, if you're going to lead me in this season, you're going to have to make me want to. Because God, I don't want to obey. God, I don't want to sacrifice. 
God, I don't want to walk in a path of, of humility, Lord. I want to walk in one of self-righteousness. And so there's this admission here that we know we can't make the path on our own, that, that, that God, I know I have a will. I have a path I want to go. But Lord, I'm, I'm really just kind of hoping you'll help empower my path. Whatever path I want to go on is the one that's going to lead to where you want. So David hears, much as he's saying, hey, there's enemies out there, saying, God, I'm going to place attention to you. I don't always do what I want to. Anyone that's ever attempted to, like, change their eating habits knows this, right? God, I know I want to see this outcome. I know I want to be healthy in this way. But, man, white bread's so much better than gluten-free. And it just is. Yesterday I had both, and it was a side-by-side comparison, and I was reminded how terrible gluten Free is. Okay, um, gluten's bad too, whatever. All right, here's God. He says, make me know my ways. Make me know your ways. There's this tension to be solved. And it's not by us fighting harder. He doesn't say, hey, God, just make me man up. God, make me do better. No, it's God, produce a change in me to know your ways, to lead me on your paths, to, to know your truth, to teach me. Why, God? Not so that I'll achieve salvation. He says, because no, because you are the God of my salvation. And so part of this path of tension finds, begins to find some resolution with that final phrase in verse five, with a persistent patience. God, I will wait for you I will wait for you all the day long. In some ways, it's like you can translate that kind of to someday. And man, we, we hate this because we like our timing way better than God's. We want things solved immediately. We want provision immediately. We want our prayers answered immediately. And God's like, I have a different path for you. And it's gonna be okay. I'm gonna be with you. It's different than what you think it is, but it's gonna produce something greater than you could uh, imagine. And so, it's so hard because, like we said, we want that resolution now. And so I want to be clear what the end of verse 5 is. It's not just like a, the lame reservation of like, someday, God, I know you'll make it better. Just like, you know, my wife and I at certain points are like, someday our kitchen will get remodeled. You know, it's like that someday that's like probably never going to happen. Sorry, babe. Um, maybe. Okay, anyway. Right, we all have those things of that someday. No, this phrase is a hopeful assurance. Someday, this is different. Someday is different than today. Someday will be better today. It's an eagerly waiting and hoping while remaining on a path of steady patience. Okay, I can keep going on this crappy today because I know how great that someday is going to be. Okay? So that path of, of peace that begins in a prison cell, um, at a certain point we get released. And we get to start walking around, and that leads us to a, to a path of pardon, right? You, 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 the prison cell is you're condemned. Man, you get released. That's because you got pardoned, right? So we're going to see this path of pardon here in verses 6 through 12. Let's keep going. It says this. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they've been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his ways. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it's great. 
See, when we get in that prison cell of tension and we get focused only on the external challenges, what happens to us is is we become incredibly self-righteous very quickly. I am either the hero that will overcome and vanquish the evil that is out there, or I'm the victim of that oppression that is out there, blameless. And man, I just hope somebody will set me free. And it ignores the fact that we are comprehensive people. Yeah, there are times that we will get to help set others free. There are times that we need to be set free. But the path of mercy is one that travels from from a prison of tension that includes self-righteousness and leads us towards greater humility. You see this over and over uh, in this text, right? Because um, if, if, if you are going to be so focused on the villain out there, you'll forget that there's a villain in here. That we're imperfect. That we aren't just a little off sometimes, but no, we actually have sin. That sin separates us. That sin ends up leading us to hurt and harm others. Now, I want to be clear, if you've suffered abuse, if if there's been things that have happened to you that are unjust, like, God hates that. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about pardon. But we have to also admit that we are just not perfect people. Even when injustice has been done to us, we're still people who need to be pardoned. And so the path of tension can only be resolved with a necessary pardon from the Lord for our sin and a disposition of humility. And so there's this contrast made across verses 6 through 12 of God's character and our own. And so if we're going to be on a path of mercy, that assumes you need mercy in the first place. Right? Mercy being you don't get the just consequences that you deserve for sin. And so it starts with who are we? Well, who are we? David here describes, after talking about the enemies out there, the shame that he could face, he says, no, I'm a sinner from my youth. I'm currently transgressing. That means breaking God's law. And then he ends in verse 11 with, I'm one of great guilt. Whoa, what a self-assessment. Like, I mean, we know some of David's stories. There's times where he's the hero and there's times he's absolutely the villain. And here he's able to acknowledge rightly, I'm not perfect, Lord. I, I have sin. It's a holistic and realistic view of who we are. Yeah, we've been sinned against, but we also need our sin pardoned. We need forgiveness. And so the result of this is that repentance is implied. At a certain point, he says, hey, no, no, God, forgive my sins and teach me your ways. Meaning, God, I was going down this path away from you, like disobeying your law, walking in sin. I acknowledge that, Lord. Like, this is not the path I want to be on. And so, yes, God, you've granted me mercy. I'm not going to go to where that path goes of condemnation. But, Lord, I also need to, to repent and walk in a new direction towards greater life and flourishing. And so, it's an admission here of his inability to, to follow what we say we want to do, our need for pardon. There's an appeal to deliverance. There's an appeal for victory from his enemies. And there's this appeal for mercy, Right? Remember your mercy, O Lord. And that remember me, that's not just like, hey, hey, think about me like, hey, Facebook told me it was your birthday. Happy birthday. I'll forget again for another 365 days. No, the remember me is an active like, I'm with you. It is an action. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And that leads us to God's character. Right? God's not the villain of the story. He says here, God, you are good and upright. God, 
I'm worried about shame. I'm worried about my reputation, but God, your reputation precedes you. You are so good and upright, and because of your goodness, because of your mercy, it says, indeed, or therefore, rather, you instruct sinners on the way. God, you're so good that even when you see people walking in sin, you're not like, done with them right now. It's like, hey, no, this is the path that leads to life. Let me lead you from here. Let's walk away from that. Not because we deserve God's favor and leadership, but because we desperately need it. He answers our transgressions with mercy. He meets our guilt with pardon. He is the one who forgives sin, and he's the one who forgets our sin. He says, therefore, he instructs sinners. This is what I love, that when we are pardoned in Christ, when our sins are forgiven with faith in Jesus, God doesn't just swing open the prison cell, drop us off outside the penitentiary, say, hope somebody picks you up. Here's the things you came in with, right? We've seen that scene, right, in in, in shows. Maybe we've lived it, right, at different points. Like, all right, here you are. Hope you you can find your way. No, he says, I'm going to lead you out of that cell. We're going to, you've been, you've been pardoned, yes, but, but I'm going to go ahead and, and lead you. I don't leave you. I don't forsake you. He instructs us on the path that says is right, steadfast, faithful. And I think some of us might come in and say, yeah, God, are you sure you want to pardon me? Because remember, right, we're at this place of tension. We're at this place where we're, we're no longer self-censoring before the Lord. We're open and honest about ourselves. I'm like, yeah, if you, if you just pardon that, if you forgive that, God, what does that say about you? Like, God, won't you be defiled by what I've done? Won't you be a little less holy because you've pardoned me and my unholiness? What if what I do becomes a mark against God? See, we've got to go back to the character and nature of God, that God is so good, he is so perfect, he is so holy, that he can pardon you and me. And God doesn't get defiled. God doesn't get defamed. Instead, God's goodness, God's grace, God's holiness is so powerful that, that when it's met by our sin, when it's met by our defilement, when it's met by our shame, what happens to God is not he gets unclean. What happens is we get made clean. We are redeemed. We are set free. And this is what he wants, right? The path of pardon, the promise of ultimate salvation. It talks about God keeping a covenant and a testimony. That's God promising that this path is going to end well. But if we're going to accept this pardon, if we're going to walk out this path of mercy with a pardon, it means that humility is required new leadership in our lives, new desires too, where where we redirect our perspective on what we're focused on because pride will keep you from learning and growing. Pride will keep you from learning and growing. Pride will keep you from, from following and believing that you need mercy. And so... Instead, we need to receive mercy with gratitude. And then, and then out of that mercy we've received, we live new lives, even of sacrifice. Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2 in the New Testament, this is Paul writing about this, uh, in verses 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, talking to the church in Rome, by the mercies of God, right? This, this path of mercy, 
to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He ties what we do, what we think, like how we act all holistically together in worship. Do not be conformed to this world. There's a lot of applications for that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, right? That's, that's saying, hey, you're going to be led. You're going to need to have a, 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 a place of humility where you're like, I, I don't know what the next step is. God, lead me. God, what's your will here? That's going to require constantly putting ourselves in places of dependence, putting ourselves in places of humility. That it's grace that we get from God that drives this pardon and not our personal growth, right? It's not like, okay, hey, I've gotten better, so maybe God's going to give me a little bit more. I've unlocked this next level on Candy Crush, so I get to move ahead, right? I get get a power up now. No, you've just received it all. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about us being spiritually dead. God making us alive. And then saying he's prepared good works that we should go walk in them. He's created a path of mercy for us. Being guided on this path has a disposition of humility as someone who's received great mercy. What's important about this is if we think about that mercy is that God forgets our sin, but he doesn't forget us. God remembers us. God forgives our sin. God remembers you, and he doesn't remember your sin. He has a whole different disposition towards you. When you're walking on the path of mercy, when you've received mercy that comes from faith in Jesus, he doesn't see you in your sin. He sees you as forgiven. Now we know we're not yet perfect. We know that means that we're still going to sin. What it means is that we no longer have to walk in condemnation for our sin. And so after that path of, after that prison cell is open, right, we begin this path it starts with a pardon. Hey, hey, you, you can leave the cell now. You don't have to walk in this tension anymore. Yeah, there'll still be tension, but like, you don't have to walk in it. You're not stuck there anymore. Number three is we get a path of presence here, verses 13 through 15. There's three ways this plays out. And 13 through 15 says this. Sorry, let's start in verse 12, rather. Verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. And so we, we get out of the cell. We're, we're, we're out of, of the prison. We've been pardoned. And again, we're not just left alone in a wilderness. We're not left to find our own way. We're not alone. We're not sinners left in the confines of a prison. We're not wandering aimlessly. We are freed, and we're, we're declared not only not guilty, right? that's how we do things. Oh, yep, they're not guilty. Like, yeah, but we, we, we kind of know they're guilty. Sorry. Right, we know they're guilty. I mean, yeah, oh, good, you got off on a technicality. Oh, you were pardoned? Yeah, but we know you needed to be pardoned, so you're still kind of guilty. No, instead, God now walks with us Not as not guilty, but as innocent. Isn't the difference between innocent and not guilty? You're not convicted of this anymore. No, it's like, no, you're you're innocent. That's not who you are. That doesn't define you anymore. 
We are welcomed and walked with identity of innocence, loved with intimacy, led with intentionality. And, and you see this in big ways. Three points out of this section of Scripture. Number one, the path of presence. The path of presence, number one, life abundant and legacy assured. We see that in verse 13. When David says his soul is lifted up, where, where does it go? Well, it says here in verse 13 that it abides in the Lord, right? Abide in well-being, dwelling with the Lord. Abide is a resting, a dwelling in a place of security. The Hebrew word here for well-being means at ease. Prosperity. Like a good place to be. That's where the soul dwells. There is a place right now that your soul, regardless of your worldly circumstance, can dwell in a place of well-being at ease in the Lord, with the Lord. And then we have great hope that while there might be tension now, while there might be difficulty now, that we have the promise of a lasting legacy, right? And the verse 13 says this, his offspring shall inherit the land. That's a promise of lasting legacy. That's a promise of eternity. All right, number two. The path of presence has friendship and faithfulness in verse 14. Friendship and faithfulness, verse 14. So we walk along this path with God as a faithful friend. God doesn't, again, give us a map and just say, okay, now, now this is the path of mercy. Hope you don't stumble along the way. No, it says he walks with us. Jesus, even in um, the Great Commission, says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That we have God's presence with us, leading us in the wilderness. And, and when we see friend here, right, this isn't just like drinking buddy you watch the game with. Right? It, it's a deep, like, I can trust my soul to you, that you're going to give me wise counsel, that you're still going to walk with me. And then even when I kind of like bear my junk out a little bit, you're not going to cringe and be like, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know you think that. I know you've ever done that. So it, it's a faithful friend who's also maybe a, a counselor, meaning somebody who guides and leads. And so it's a path of presence and companionship. Not to just know the way, but to know that when we're on the way, we're not going to be alone. And we know that this path of mercy has the benefit of a God who's faithful to his promises, right? End of verse 14. He makes known to them his covenant. Again, we're back to promises. All right, number three. The path of presence is one of perspective and protection. Verse 15 says, my eyes are ever towards the Lord. He'll pluck my feet out of the net. See, we can have our perspective adjusted when our protection is assured. Right, if I'm out here on the edge, I, I, I probably should, in fact, I, I better should because I didn't practice this. Um, right, I, I better look down a little bit because I don't, it's not safe for me to keep going on this. And a lot of us right now have our heads looking down because we are scared. We are fearful. We talked about this two weeks ago, right? The virus we can't see or the government we can, right? Pick your side. We're scared. But when our, and so our head's down because I don't want to stumble. I don't want to fall. I don't want to end up in the pit. I don't, I don't know what's next, right? But, but when our eyes are up to the Lord, we have a different perspective because our protection is assured. God, I, I can look up to you. I can keep walking towards you. I can keep looking towards you because I know you're going to pluck me out of the net. It's like, like I can step out here, right? Like Peter stepping off the boat onto the water. No, I'm not going to fall 
because God's protecting me. Doesn't mean there's not a pit. Doesn't mean that we're not gonna, there's times that we're not going to feel like we're snagged or that we're caught. But what it, it does mean is that we can stay focused on the Lord because of his promises to us. We don't have to walk in fear because we know God will save us when we stumble. When we're ensnared, I better, better keep looking there. <laughs> I don't actually want to fall out. Like not, not the sermon illustration I'm going for with like a bloody lip, right? We can have our perspective adjusted when our protection is assured. And here in verse 15, my eyes are ever towards you because I know you're going to pluck my feet out of the net. That's what it means to walk down this path of presence. The path of mercy that begins in a prison cell of tension that, that is granted with pardon that now we get to walk out in the wilderness even with the presence of God with us, with, with friendship, with faithfulness, with protection, with even, it says, prosperity in our souls. That would be a great way to end. It'd be awesome if that's where David left things, where we just know the path of mercy, just prosperity, protection, it's all good. But guys, we're not home yet. We're gonna get home but we're not home yet. And so these last verses as we close, David, again, incredibly realistic as we realize this path of mercy is one that is a path of endurance. Let's read these last verses as we close. Verse 16 through 22. Seems like he's still maybe unsettled a bit. Turn to me, be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes. With what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, that's God's people, oh God, out of all his troubles. So there's this very much individual like, hey, am I going to make it? God, I've sinned. God, save me. And there's also this corporate like, God, you got a people. You got a nation. Lord, you're going to save them, right? We're all going to make it home, right? And so we're out in the wilderness and we're wondering, are we going to make it home? And like I said, we're not home yet. And so this path of mercy means endurance today that we're not left alone in the wilderness, but it's still okay to say, this is a bit wildernessy. This isn't our forever home. The path isn't going to be easy, but it's going to have to be endured. So our day-by-day disposition means we can be a little gracious with ourselves to not have such amazing expectations that, man, you're, you're just never going to falter. You're never going to be faithless. You're never going to doubt. You have a smile on your face all the time. Tune's empty. My heart's full. Things are great. Like, yeah, that's true. And here's David, who's experienced the pardon, who says, God, I know you're present with me. I still wonder, have you forgiven my sins? Please forgive me for those ones. God, there's still enemies out there. God, are we going to make it? I love the realism. Let's just be a realistic people. Let's be a realistic people that, yeah, there's times that we're lonely afflicted, our hearts are shrinking, distress is growing, we're dealing with external difficulties, external opponents, internal conflicts, even ongoing sin, and those hindrances, they are great, but our God is greater, and that's again where David's going back to, even in the realism of all the opposition, 
All the greatness that can overcome him, he knows there's a God who's greater that can overcome all. And so he's still hopeful that we will preserve because God is our refuge. We can patiently endure with God as our strength, not just individually, but as his people, for we are not alone. We are people who are loved and led. We can know that we're loved and led. We're we're told, like all throughout this book, Romans 5, 6, and 8, bonus verses, here you go. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5, 6, and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The path of mercy is because Jesus already walked a path of wrath for us. Jesus came and dwelled with it. David's saying, God, I lift my soul up to you. Jesus said, you ain't gonna make it. I'm gonna come down to you. I'm gonna walk among you. I'm gonna walk this path before you. I'm gonna walk a path of wrath that we all deserve for our sin. Because Jesus walked that path of wrath for us all the way to the cross, right? When we take communion here, we're remembering that Jesus' path of mercy took him to the cross, where he suffered wrath for our sins so that as we take the the bread of the body broken for Jesus and the blood of the blood shed for Jesus, the cup there, we're remembering that Jesus suffered wrath so that we could have mercy. That Jesus suffered shame. He was brought low. He was despised. Jesus tweeted out some unpopular opinions every now and then. Jesus overturned some tables. That upset the governmental and religious officials around him. Jesus did these things, was publicly shamed, like to the point of being lifted up naked on a cross. Jesus was lifted up in shame so that you and I could be lifted up in honor. That's the exchange that we get in this path of mercy that only comes from Jesus. And because Jesus like walked in tension, right? Like let's not just act like Jesus had a big smile on his face, can't wait for the cross. No, we know that in the garden, Jesus was in such a a prison cell of tension that he's like, God, take this cup from me. I do not want to suffer tomorrow. And how did he resolve his tension? (sighs) Through prayer. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was faithful for you so that we can enjoy honor even when we're faithless. Jesus already endured. Jesus was already faithful for us so that we can walk out new lives of faithfulness with the assurance of mercy. Because Jesus humbled himself and endured shame and being reviled, we get to have honor. Because Jesus was forsaken, we know we'll never be forsaken. In fact, instead, we get to be welcomed as friend. God doesn't meet us as sinner opposed to him. In Christ, he meets us as friend, as family member, as full citizen in his kingdom. That's the path we're on now. It's not, you'll get there someday and you'll be a friend to God. No, Jesus walked the path so that right now, every step we take in and with Christ, we know we're already on the path of mercy. We know what leads to home. We know what leads to salvation because when Jesus said it's finished on the cross, we can have assurance that we're gonna finish our path with God. He who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it in the day of our Lord. That's what Philippians says. So with every stumble, with every step of the path we're walking on, if it's a path of mercy, we know it ends well. 
we know it ends well. And so what path are you on? Did you come in here today on your own path, on your own way? Maybe with your soul brought low and thinking, I'll lift it up to God. Or are you surrendering to the path that's already been walked before you? That God, I can't walk this path you want for me. Lord, I need Jesus to do it in my place. Know that he has and receive Jesus' perfection in the place of your sin. That is the great exchange that you are no longer identified anymore by your sin. You're identified by Jesus' righteousness. If that's you, if you pledge your allegiance to Jesus, and we want you to get baptized, publicly declaring, like, the path I'm on leads to destruction. I'm on a path of mercy now. Because Jesus didn't just die for your sins. He rose again so that you can have new life now and have it forever, that Jesus rose again so we can walk in this new life now and know that we have a lasting legacy for eternity. What longer legacy could you want than eternity? And so, maybe you're like, no, I've already made that decision. I'm already on the path of mercy, but man, I just haven't felt like it. And this is a day for you. This is a moment for you to continue on that path, to be renewed to be refreshed with a God who walks with us. That we're not yet at a place of completion, but all of us can rest that we're at a place of assurance. So we can keep walking with resolve, knowing that God will bring us home as we continue individually and together to simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.